Hello and welcome to the Anglo-Saxon Heathen Podcast. I am going to change the name of the podcast and replace the heathen with history. So it's going to be the Wanderer, the Anglo-Saxon History Podcast. I'm doing this mainly because a lot of what I'm doing is history uh, rather than heathenism, although I will still be using and getting stories on heathenism as well as the history. So I think that's the way forward for this podcast. I've been in Mallorca for a couple of weeks now and um, I really enjoy it. It's a great uh, trip and a lot of the medieval stuff is still there, early medieval stuff. If you look at some of the churches, uh, they're pure medieval still. They haven't updated themselves or anything. They are just as they were. A lot of the town is still medieval and sometimes you have displays of Mallorcan dancing, uh, traditional Mallorcan dancing, as well as um, sort of reenactments, but not quite reenactments. We have people walking around in uh, costumes with swords and staffs and spears and everything, but they're not reenacting everything. They're just there representing this particular day or whatever the festival is in Mallorca. I've been round most of the island so far looking for early medieval um, things so that I can talk about them on this podcast. But I haven't seemed to find much, but I have found something out about slingers. Now, Mallorcan slingers in the day were world famous. The Romans used them, the Carthaginians used them, and their slinging was supposed to be so good, they would be in the front lines, they would run out between the spearmen or the archers and use their slings to take out the people on horses, infantry, anything really. They were the best in the world at the time. And they still hold slinging competitions to this day over all over Mallorca. And you'll find that the slingers now are just as accurate as they were then. In fact, they are expert slingers. And it's something to behold when you see it. The churches are something really, really nice to look at. Even though I am heathen, it's nice to go into places like that and see what has happened over the years and how things have changed or not. I know a lot of these churches were built over pagan temples themselves. So really, if a heathen goes into one, they're still on their own holy ground as well, as far as I'm concerned. Mallorca in the early Middle Ages um, was quite a turbulent place. And in the 7th century, the Catholic Mallorca became the refugee for Christians fleeing the early spread of Islam. And the Arabic troops repeatedly tried to conquer Mallorca, but failed again and again. And in the middle of the 8th century, Mallorca was disconnected from the Eastern Roman Empire. I mean, Mallorca has a strikingly modern Gothic cathedral looming over the sea to the stark beauty of its Arab bath complex. Palma de Mallorca's architecture offers a fresh take on the Middle Ages as a a major centre of trade in the Mediterranean. Palmer's shores would have been familiar sight to people from three continents and its streets would have echoed with countless languages and Palmer's residents constructed a unique series of buildings which have never gotten the recognition they deserve from historians. Today, the city's medieval streets are a pedestrian's dream. Offering elegant patios and colourful squares alongside landmarks rivalling the best of mainland Spain. 
Palmer's old town encompasses the area within the thousand-year-old city walls, which, from a rough horseshoe along the shore, most of the oldest landmarks cluster near the water. Further inland, the warren of tiny medieval streets gives way to boulevards interspersed with larger squares. In Moorish Palmer, and for three centuries, Palmer was known as Medina or Medina. In spite of political tumult on the mainland, Majorca prospered under the Moors, while Palmer grew large enough to support a mosque with a capacity of 18,000 people. The city's defensive walls were laid out in this period, as were the labyrinthian streets closer to the water. The latter were oriented to catch both local breezes and create shaded areas during the sun's zenith. Sadly, systematic destruction of Islamic culture by larger Christian rule left mere traces of the island's Moorish history. The Moors remaining on the island were exiled or sold into slavery. One of the most tangible glimpses of Moorish Palmer can be found in the Arab baths, not to be confused with the tiny baths in the royal palace. The Baines Arabs were part of a private residence built in the 10th century using ancient columns imported from the Middle East. The baths were important gathering places for the elite. The calderium, with its dome pierced by openings to control light and ventilation, packs a lot of drama into a small space, reminding us that Islamic architecture doesn't require elaborate ornamentation to be powerful. King James II renovated the existing Moorish fortified palace, modelling it on the French palace in the kingdom's capital city of Perpignan. The result is a mixture of unique to Palmer, painted wooden mudhejar ceilings, wide southern Gothic vaulting and arcades overlooking palm trees and the sea, and some of the more notable spaces in the Palau Real de la Alamundena included the Salon de Tinelle, the Great Hall, where the last Moorish ruler, Abu Yahya, signed the formal surrender. When the Kingdom of Mallorca dissolved, the palace was used to house the island's governors. Today, it's the official residence of Spain's royal family when they visit the island. Cathedral of Parma. They have a wonderful cathedral in Parma, and it dominates the waterfront. Literally, the bishop's seat lives up to its status as the city's most iconic landmark. A massive Gothic edifice rises straight up from the sea with little ornamentation and strikingly modern lines. And work on Palmer's cathedral began shortly after King James I's conquest in 1229. Spanish Christians commonly built cathedrals on the site of a city's central mosque. And Mallorca was no exception. While the architects were inspired by buildings in France and Spain, the structure took, it, took on its own unique form. The Basilica de San Francisco. After the cathedral, the Basilica de San Francisco is Palmer's most important and impressive church. Founded in 1278, the monastery grew over many centuries as noble families vied to contribute to the influential Franciscan order. The austerity of the facade, reminiscent of the cathedral, contrasts with a Baroque explosion of form over the portal. The interior contains classic Catalan vaulting and in the cloister, an eclectic series of arcades. The statue on out front commemorates Junipero Serra, who went to Mexico as a missionary and founded the settlements of Los Angeles and San Francisco. Inside, visitors can pay respects to the tomb of the mystic philosopher Ramon Lull, Palmer's most beloved native son. 
the conquest of Melukka and the expansion of the Aragonese crown, 1229 to 1344. In the early 10th century, the Balearic islands of Mallorca and Menorca and Ibiza became part of the Emirate of Cordoba on the Iberian mainland. From 902 to the 13th century, the island chain remained an important point of contact between Cordoba, known as the Caliphate of Cordoba after 929, and the trading hubs of Pisa and Genoa on the Italian peninsula. Its significance for trade and as a launch point between the French Mediterranean and northern Italy made the Balearics attractive for the emerging crown of Aragon. In the early 13th century, as its monarch, Jean el Concorridor, 1213-1276, set his sights on the western Mediterranean. Between the creation of the Taifa of Mallorca in 1031 and the invasion of Jean de of Aragon in 1229, Mallorca was governed by a series of valleys, or administrative governors, which ruled the island on behalf of both the Almoravid, 1018-1203, and Almohad, 1203-1229, empires. During this three-century period, one group of crusaders from the county of Barcelona, Republic of Peter and the Occitan lands invaded Mallorca with the support of Pope Pascal II in 1114. This unsuccessful invasion, led by the Count of Barcelona, Ramon Berenguer III, 1086-1131, to 1131, lasted only eight months as the archipelago was recaptured by the Almoravids by 1116. By 1229, the crown of Aragon had been successful at expanding its borders from Aragon and Catalonia into Provence, Perpignan and Montpellier. With success in absorbing these territories into the crown, the Aragonese once again aimed to annex the Balearics. By 402, Christianity had become the state religion of the Roman Empire. But rather than some quiet reflection on the Passion of Christ, Peace for the citizens of Palentia was disturbed by the noise of battle, and it was the Romans who were to blame. On April the 6th, 402, the Battle of Palentia took place. This event would clearly be of great relevance to Mallorca's history. Would be if it had been in Mallorca. The Palentia in question wasn't Mallorca's, it was Italy's. Flavius Stilicho, an all-powerful Roman general, set his troops against those of Alaric I, the first king of the Visigoths. The Visigoths had been peacefully observing Easter, their Arian version thereof. Stilicho, not renowned for his religious correctness, knew an opportunity when it presented itself. Alaric's wife and children were captured. The Romans claimed the great victory. If Polentia, Alicudia had been the site for this battle, we would of course know all about it, and the 6th of April would each year be the cause for some commemoration or other. This would be because, as history goes in Mallorca, there is hardly anything prior to the conquest of Jean I in 1229, to which specific dates can be attached. In fact, there are hardly any years which stand out other than 1223 BC which stand out other than 123 BC, the Roman occupation, 425, the Vandals occupy, 534, the Byzantines take over, and 902, the Muslims move in, although to be strictly accurately, this was 903. It's not as if there isn't some documentary evidence. The Romans and Muslims certainly provided it. It's just that very little of any great note appeared to happen for several centuries.
and a reason why has precisely to do with the Battle of Palentia. The Visigoths were never a factor in Majorca or the Balearics. The Vandals' arrival in Majorca is usually stated as having been 425, but there is sufficient evidence to suggest that their occupation was more complete at the time of the sacking of Rome in 455. The Balearics were a useful stopping-off point for the Vandal Kingdom that had been established in North Africa. Otherwise, the islands were an outpost, just as they were to be when the Byzantines established the province of Spania in the 6th century. The Byzantine influence on mainland Spain was confined to what corresponds to Mercia and part of southern Andalusia. The Visigoths had established control of great parts of the Iberian Peninsula, by the time that the Vandals arrived in Majorca. When the Byzantines came along, this hegemony was all but total, and yet, for all this, the Visigoths left Majorca and the Balearics alone. The Visigothic kingdom was a powerful one in the western Mediterranean until the Muslim incursions started in the early 8th century. It was dominant. Majorca was comparatively close and trying to explain why the Visigoths never moved in has led historians to enter into great debates of supposed truths followed by rebuttals. One claim has been made for the Byzantine influence to have ended around a 100 years after it started, and so, circa 650, sovereignty of Majorca and the Balearics has been argued transferred to the Visigoths. In 859, there was apparently a major Viking raid, which is quite possible that there was, and that there were also subsequent Viking actions after the Muslims occupied Majorca. But these just add to what are the uncertainties of the centuries between the arrivals of the Vandals and the Byzantines and the Muslims. There is, however, and despite the claim to the contrary, one certainty, and that is that Majorca was never Visigoth. If you enjoyed this episode, please tune in next time for more. Thank you.